Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. your Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, turn to Acts chapter 3. As many of you know, we're um, uh, spending some time looking at the book of Acts, uh, doing a sermon series that we're calling uh, We Are Acts 29. Uh, There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and so in many ways we are living out the 29th chapter, and um, that's being written on on a day-to-day basis, and so um, that's what we're, we're looking at. And what we're doing is, you know, with with Acts and with so many other books of the Bible, there's so much that, that you could pull out, right? And so it really helps to kind of say, all right, what's our lens for this time a, as we pass through? And so um, for, what, for us, what we're doing is, is just looking at the, the lens of the early church, um, how they operated, what was valuable to them, that kind of thing. As we embark on this rebranding process where we're kind of redirecting our brand from, from Henderson MB Church to to Living Hope Church, to really kind of re-examine what are the core pieces of, of what it means to be part of the global church? What are the core pieces of what it means to be part of the, the Mennonite Brethren family, or, or the Mennonite Brethren team, or denomination? And then also just what does it mean to be a local church here in Henderson, Nebraska? And so that's, uh, that's our lens. Today uh, we're going after uh, the entire chapter, chapter 3. Um, two main sections that happen in this. First, there's a really neat miracle, a miracle of healing that happens. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then once again, Peter rolls into a really great sermon that we'll talk about just kind of briefly. And then once again, how do we apply this to us as a church? I mean, this happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, how does this, this apply to us? Let me read the first part of this to you. I am in Acts. I'm in chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 10 verses to you. And so this is the the miracle that happens. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, a few things about this story that that I want you to, to know. First of all, kind of the first character on this, so we've got the beggar, um, kind of the kind of the main character. And the first thing, of course, is, is that we read that he has been lame from birth or crippled from birth. A reminder, Luke, who authored the book of Acts, is a medical doctor, right? So he's not going to botch this up, right? Like Luke isn't going to confuse, I sprained my ankle last week, 
with lame from birth. And, and actually, if you, if you get into the Greek, he uses really technical medical terms, like he identifies a very particular part of the foot um, that, that, that was broken or, or lame or, or that kind of thing. And, and even his terminology for receiving strength, for leaping up, they're all like, they're words that he's pulling out of the medical field um, for this. So it's, it's really kind of interesting. But, but even more so, what's fascinating is that this guy has been crippled from birth, and because of that, everybody knows it. Like, and, and it kind of adds this element of, of, of both awe and validity to the story because, like, you can't hide it. Everybody knows this is the dude who's been crippled from birth, right? Like, if my healing story was like, well, I had a headache five minutes ago, uh, but I'm better now, you know, it's like, uh, okay, maybe you're making that up. But, I mean, as compared to I spent 40 years begging because I had no legs— like, that's just, you, you, you can't argue with that. So it, it's pretty awesome. Um, another thing uh, that just, and, and all this will, will build, you'll see here in a second. Uh, so it says that they were going up at the ninth hour. Prayer happened, kind of their, their group prayer happened three times. At the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. All right, so, but how they did it was the day started the night before at sunset, um, but then they started counting hours at 6 a.m. in the morning. And so third hour is actually 9 a.m. Sixth hour is actually 12 noon. And you see kind of a similar time stamp type deal going on, like with Jesus' crucifixion and that kind of thing. So this is the ninth hour, so this is 3 p.m. But what that means, though, is that this is the most, um, uh, most popular, most um, well visited hour there was some other sacrifice thing that was typically done at this time and basically all that to say is that this is when there would have been the most traffic ninth hour prayer would have been the busiest time that this would have taken place also he identifies it as the beautiful gate now um, there were 10 gates uh, going into the temple um, and the josephus was this first century historian He's very helpful because he wrote down a lot of stuff. Um, he talks about there's ten gates going into the, sanctu- in, into the sanctuary, but he said nine of them had silver and gold on them, but there was a tenth one, though, that was overlaid in bronze that they called the beautiful gate. And that one was by far kind of more costly and more gorgeous than, than kind of all the other gates. And the door on it was so— somewhere I read the, the measurements on it, and it's in cubits, so I don't remember how big it was, but— they, he, he said, though, that the door required at least 20 men to close the door. So, the, the other, so all that to say, though, is that— so we don't know which gate this is because the temple's been destroyed and it's all buried under the, the Dome of the Rock, and that's another story. But, um, so, um, but all the locals back then would have known exactly which gate that was and that kind of thing. All that to say, this was also probably the heaviest trafficked gate. Like, of all the ten gates going in, this was probably the one that saw the greatest flow of people. So you have the, the, most, um, the most used gate at the busiest time of, of the day, and basically all this lends itself to the highest volume of people possible are going to witness this miracle, because this happens in broad daylight in, in front of everyone. And, and the crowds are, are speechless. I mean, uh, verse 11 tells us that people are filled with wonder and amazement. And all of this really just, it just goes to show that, 
that they couldn't have made this up, right? Because even in the drama that follows, no one accuses the apostles of like, did you stage this, or did you make this up, or, you know, did you like bring in your own cripple from out of town? Like, none of that happened, because they all know this guy who's been there for, I don't know, years, decades, cripple from birth, the healing happens in broad daylight in front of about the largest crowd that you could possibly amass, like the miracle itself is undeniable, and so they just get in trouble for how they respond to it later on. Um, the miracle itself, uh, Peter and John made this trip daily. The beggar is laid there daily. I have no, many, no idea how many times these people have passed each other. Maybe it was years. Again, maybe it was decades. I mean, they had, they were in and out of the temple daily, and the, the beggar was, was carried there daily. Um, uh, yeah, so, but there's something special, there's something different about today, and you see that how Peter and John almost seem kind of synchronized, almost, I don't know if synchronized is the right word, but, but there's this sense that they both know that something is going on, right? Because it says that one fixed their gaze on him, and then the other one, and so maybe they planned this beforehand. Maybe they're like, hey, let's heal the crippled dude. I think that would be really fun. And let's do it at 3 p.m. And I, may, I don't know. Or the Holy Spirit was just speaking to both of them at, at the same time. The guy is healed. He, he jumps up. Um, his legs suddenly have a muscle mass. His bones and his tendons are suddenly strong. His joints have mobility. His brain suddenly knows things. The guy has never walked. Like, have you ever seen the, the, the stories, or, the, or even of adults having to relearn how to walk? I mean, it takes months. Like, there's crutches, and there's physical therapy, and the nervous system needs to relearn how to do things. I mean, even children, like, they kind of go through these stages of crawling, and then kind of fumbling around. And that's the brain, and that's the nervous system learning what to do. This guy goes straight from zero to walking and jumping and leaping. So it's not just that his bones and his muscles are healed, but it's actually now his brain and his nervous system immediately knows what to do and, and how to do it. He, of course, is ecstatic. He's jumping around, praising God, making a scene. Uh, later on, it says that he was clutching Peter and John. I mean, I probably would too. Um, a word on the prayer. We don't have time to, to unpack it in its entirety, um, but Peter uses something that I would call an, an authoritative prayer. Um, and in our, it, it, in our denomination, I don't know, we, we've kind of forgotten or we just never really kind of learned how to use this prayer, which is too bad. Uh, it is a handy tool to have in the toolbox. Uh, I used to have a professor who would say that, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but if I can equip you guys with the screwdriver and saws and levels and just kind of more tools in the toolbox, it just, it makes ministry, uh, just a little bit easier and, and more accessible. Inter just kind of a quick description. Intercessory prayer is where you, where you speak to God on behalf of someone else. So intercessory prayer is, dear God, would you please, dot, 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 Amen. And some people are short and to the point, and some people are super long and flowery and whatnot, but that's intercessory prayer. Dear God, would you please, amen. Authoritative prayer is where you speak to something, 
on behalf of God. And so authoritative prayer is more in the name of Jesus. I command the illness or the disease or the demon or that kind of thing to dot, dot, dot. Amen. In the miracles of Jesus, I challenge you to find me one miracle that Jesus does that was intercessory prayer. I am not aware of a single miracle performed by Jesus that was intercessory prayer. The miracles of Jesus. Find me one prayer where Jesus goes, Dear Lord, would you please multiply the fish and the bread so that we can have something to eat? Dear Lord, would you please heal this guy? I'm not aware of any case where that happens. And it's because Jesus has authority. So he simply commands it, and it happens. So the big question then is, to what extent has Jesus given authority to us, and to what extent has Jesus extended some of his authority to the church? And I think it's actually uh, quite a bit more than, um, than we realize. But, so the result, though, also, is that most of the miracles and the healings that happen in the book of Acts use authoritative prayer, not intercessory prayer. Uh, I think maybe one or two are intercessory prayer. I think there's one that's a bit of a combo. Um, but most of them... It's authoritative prayer. And so what you see here is that you never see them go, Dear Heavenly Father, would you please heal the cripple guy? They don't do that. They simply say, In the name of Jesus, I command, walk. Amen. Authoritative prayer. So, anyways, I say, I say that just so you can have more tools in your toolbox. <laughs> it's a handy thing to, to, have, uh, to have at times. Um, here is your homework, okay? Um, after the video or the audio of this uh, service gets online, you go back to the opening prayer that I did, and you find when I rolled from intercessory prayer to authoritative prayer back into authoritative prayer. That, that, that's, your, that's your homework assignment, because I incorporated it. It was very quick. There's only about one or two sentences, but you go see if you can find me. Where did the pastor roll from intercessory to authoritative and then, and then back out? See, because you don't have to be weird about it. That's the other thing you need to know. No reason to be weird about it. Okay, let's move on. The speech, the follow-up. Uh, uh, Peter gives this, this really great uh, sermon, and I do want to read it to you. The very first thing is that he really works to direct all of their attention and the credit for the miracle— to Jesus. I mean, that's, okay, great miracle has happened, but people, this is not of us. This is, this is of Jesus. All the attention gets directed back towards Jesus. Starting in verse 11, and I'm, I'm going to go down to 16. That's kind of the first part. Um, while he, so that's the, the previously crippled, now walking guy, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them um, to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, you know, the crowd is forming. He almost sounds surprised by it. Uh, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of A Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and the righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, 
he has made strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So there's definitely kind of some, oh, guilt's not the right word, but he, he's pretty candid with them that, so there was this guy, Jesus, and you all denied him, and you really kind of goofed on that one, um, but really redirects the attention to Jesus um, for this, this healing. And then after this, I'll, I'll read this to you as well, too, but then after this, there's this really strong emphasis on their need to repent, and where he's, he's saying that, that basically, Basically, they need to give their lives to Jesus. That would be kind of the terminology that we would use. Verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back. And that's probably the key phrase out of this whole thing. That's what all of this was building to, and that's what all of this flows out of. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that um, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also uh, proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in, the, uh, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Right after this, uh, officials show up and arrest Peter and Paul. Uh, so we don't know, or Peter and John. Um, so we don't know a whole lot about the follow-up other than the uh, scriptures just say that uh, more people accepted Christ and the numbers grow to about 5,000. So what do we do with this? How do we point people towards Jesus the way that Peter did? Um, a couple of just kind of big picture items, and then I would offer to you some uh, kind of some more detailed uh, uh, application, kind of at a personal level. Um, but first of all, once again, just to encourage you and even to encourage myself, just be willing to do crazy, weird things that the Spirit asks you to do. Um, grabbing the cripple guy by the hand and jerking on him really hard, that was risky. Because there's a good chance you're just going to throw him into the dirt face first. Uh, and that's embarrassing. Like, you should buy the guy lunch if you do that, right? Um, but they went for it. Like, I, to say the words, yeah, okay, that's one thing. You know, to, 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 to preach the sermon afterwards, yeah, that's fine. But to immediately grab that guy's hand and pull him upright, uh, to me, that is just one of the most remarkable acts of faith uh, and confidence that, that happens right there and um so just a willingness to just do crazy weird stuff that the spirit asks you to do and you know what if you make a mistake yeah that's okay we do that it's okay to to make mistakes i mean if you need to buy someone lunch uh, you know do it but um spend some time with god saying okay lord how could i have done that better or what you know what how, how you know where did i go wrong that kind of thing it's okay to make mistakes but a willingness to just do crazy, weird things as the Spirit leads. 
Secondly, once again, repentance. And I feel like I keep saying this over and over again, but it keeps coming up in the scriptures over and over again. Um, but in the early days of the church, there was this repetitive, strong call to repentance. And there, there's kind of two kinds. I mean, there's that, there's the repentance of sin, where we give our lives to Jesus, but then there's just the daily repentance of our sins, plural, to just say, Holy Spirit, am I re- right relationship with you? Have I grieved you in any way in the last 24, 48 hours? You know, how do I, um, to just continue to be in repentance? Repentance is more than just apologize, because repentance means to turn away. And, and you see that terminology in here. Peter, he uses the word repentance, and then he says turn away, right? So to say, you know, I'm sorry I did that, Lord, that's good. That's kind of phase one. But phase two of repentance is to say I'm now going to turn from that, and I want to commit to not, not doing that again. So repentance. Third, um, we talked about different kinds of prayer, learning different kinds of prayer. Um, if you— I mean, I, I had never heard of authoritative prayer until someone taught me on it, and then it took me a, a really long time to kind of track with what they were talking about. So, um, but I've—the care team is familiar with it. I've given them some training on it. Feel free to ask them some questions or ask me some questions. Um, in learning how to pray, just in general, if, if you even just want to learn how to pray, pray the Psalms. That is, that is a great way to learn how to pray, is to just— pray through the psalms um fourth uh just big picture stuff big miracles help us turn people towards jesus uh and i think it's good to ask for big miracles but we also need to be prepared for when those miracles happen to have the conversations right peter was prepared to to give this talk so it's good to ask for the big miracles but then we need to be prepared for that that follow-up um and i think a lot of us misinterpret miracles as coincidence oh what amazing coincidence i just ran into you or what an amazing coincidence you just happened to write me this life-giving encouragement note or that kind of thing and god's like that's not coincidence i orchestrated that whole thing give me some credit and uh so i think we just we misread things quite a bit be willing to do crazy things for jesus uh repentance learning different kinds of prayers and remembering that miracles uh, help us point towards Jesus. Some specific stuff. Here's your homework. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with God sightings. I, I don't know if I first learned it. Out, it, it it's with the kids, like out of the VBS curriculum or just kind of the Sunday school curriculum. And it's brilliant. Like, I love it. It's so good. This should be standard training for all adults. Um, but with a God sighting, you simply look for evidence of God or evidence of his work in your daily life. And, and you reflect on that on a daily basis. Um, and I think we need to learn to see the miracles around us. And, 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 and in fact, I know we do because we have to be able to recognize the miracles before we can talk to others about those miracles, before we can bring those up in conversation, and before we can actually leverage those to point the conversation towards Jesus. Um, if we just sit around waiting for the, the lifelong cripple to get healed, we're probably going to be waiting for a while, you know, but to find those daily God sightings, those daily miracles, and use, and use that. So for the next week, one God sighting every day. That's your homework. One God sighting every day for the next week. Here's your second thing. Talk to a friend, talk to a spouse about different kinds of prayer, including authoritative prayer. You don't have, like, I'm not asking anyone to become experts. I'm just asking you to courageously step into a curious conversation 
about different kinds of prayer and reflect on this. So that's your second assignment. You have to have a conversation with someone, a living person, about different kinds of prayer. Third thing, just in preparation to have those conversations, um, is just to review. Uh, Romans Road is, is kind of a handy tool. That Romans Road is just a nickname for a bunch of verses in the book of Romans that you can put them in order, and it really kind of lays out the gospel message. Um, and you can just Google it. Just Google Romans Road, and it'll give you all the verses. Review that. Mark it in your Bible. Your Bible is a really handy tool. Highlight them. Write them out in the first part of Romans so that you're ready to have that conversation where you can be like, oh, yeah, here, here are some verses, and you know that it's written out in Romans, so you don't have to have it memorized because you have it written down in your Bible or highlighted or that kind of thing. So there you are. Look for God sightings. Talk to someone about prayer and review the Romans road and write it out in your scriptures or in your Bible. The early church was privileged with some pretty big miracles that they were able to effectively use to point towards Jesus. Um, for us, it's, I think, I mean, as long as I've been here, it's been a while since we've had something of this magnitude happen. Uh, but I believe that we are surrounded by small stuff every single day. And so for us, the discipline is learning to recognize the small stuff and then to follow up in conversation in response to that and use those, and use those events to direct people towards Jesus. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll have our, our final song. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much for scriptures and just the stories in scriptures. And Lord, we're privileged to be able to learn about the early church. And God, uh, even though there is some big stuff that happened, they always used it to point towards you. They always redirected the conversation back towards you in very uh, direct but also very tactful ways. And so, Lord, as, as we just come back to the basics of being a church, may that be a core thing that we are about, is that every person here personally develops a skill of recognizing the, the daily miracles around us and is able to redirect that conversation, redirect the awareness of those miracles back towards you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray for um, all those gathered here that you would guard over them, that you would bless their week, um, and that you would uh, empower each one of us um, to, or just help each one of us to get better at seeing you in our day-to-day -day lives. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.